Welcome to Contrast. Richard Bennett, converted Catholic priest, now evangelist, presents Contrast. Your comments and questions will be greatly appreciated. Permission is given to record and copy the entire message. And now, here is Richard Bennett. Today I'm very happy to interview Bob Holmes. Um, I have been talking to him a little bit previous to sitting down together and I've been really amazed at what the average Catholic is in New York and Boston, Chicago, the ordinary inner city Catholic. I had grown up as a quite spiritual uh, young boy in a Catholic sense, but the very ordinary way in which Catholicism is lived in some inner city lives here in the United States and overseas is a bit of a shock to me because I considered myself a devout Catholic all my life and to listen to Bob uh, has been a real shock to my system as it were and I really think Bob's message has got to be heard because the average Catholic is the one that we are reaching out to in Christ's love and truth and um, I think that his message and his testimony has got to be heard because there are very many Catholics who live at the level that Bob lived. So I would um, welcome you, Bob, to the program. Thank you. And I would like to ask you just how was it growing up as a young Catholic boy in New York, in Long Island, I think it was. Right, Long Island. Well, um, I'm from an Irish Catholic family, uh, second generation, and um, both my parents uh, took me to Catholic Church to Mass every Sunday until the age of about 16, and then there were some problems in the house, and because of that we, we kind of uh, fragmented. Uh, but I'm one of eight, one of eight children, and um, most of uh, my family went to parochial school and then went to university, went to St. John's University and, and continued um, in the Catholic faith. And uh, as, a, as a young Catholic, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed Catholicism because it, I had a lot of liberty. I just, you know, I mean, if all I had to do to, um, you know, be a Catholic is go to Mass on Sunday and, and uh, you know, CCD on, on a Wednesday, you know, and then I could do anything I want. I was I was pretty pretty happy with that. Yeah. Did you go to confession to confess <coughs> your sins, and did you have any sins, or should I ask? <laughs> well, yes, I had quite a few sins, and uh, uh, but as a Catholic, um, I knew I had to go to confession and to receive mass the next Sunday. I knew that I had to go. I had to uh, confess my sins, but. Um, I wasn't a very good person, so I, I was very leery of giving information out about my um, my sins. And uh, I knew that if I spoke to someone about my sins, mm -hmm. it would kind of put me in bondage, you know, because um, um, I was uh, I'd break into people's houses and steal, and break into stores and steal, and you know, just steal things. And so if I went to the Catholic Church and I would confess my sins. I, I would feel that the cops would find out, or you know, I'd feel like, you know, they were in cahoots. So, because of that, 
when I did go to confession, I'd lie. I'd say, you know, I, I lie. I said a few lies. You know, I was disobedient to my parents. But it, it would be a very general kind of uh, confession. It would never, I would never tell them any of my sins because uh, I always felt that uh, um, I, I never really felt that that would help me. I'd always felt that it would really hinder me in telling because I had some friends. We had about 50 friends all get arrested at one time and everybody ratted each other out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because of that, you know, I, yeah. I kind of have the street knowledge of you don't tell anybody what you do. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed at this because it's a total contrast of my own growing up in Dublin where all my friends, like at Belvedere College and all, were... Uh, semi-devout and we knew our Catholicism and we knew that uh, the teaching of the Catholic Church was Christ Jesus was in the, in the bread it was transubstantiation and we were really receiving we thought Christ, body, blood, soul and divinity and we could say that to you when we were uh, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old and you know we um, went to confession and really did tell all our sins and we we would examine our conscience, you know, scrupulously. So to hear this type of uh, inner city Catholicism, New York, and uh, is uh, really a, an eye opener for me, to say say the least. Uh, did you not really believe that Christ was truly in the uh, communion bread? Did you not believe that? I actually never knew it. I wasn't a very good student in school. Um, I wasn't a very good reader, and. Uh, I think out of about 600 kids in a graduating class, I graduated like 597. <laughs> oh man, yes, yes, so, yes. So, you know, I wasn't the brightest bulb in the, in the, in the box, but um, I was streetwise. I knew, I knew there, was, there was something, something strange that, I, I, that never sat right with me. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I would see people, just the piety, the, the, the false, you know, you could do anything you want all week long, and then on Sunday, you know, go to Mass and act like you're, you're very pious and be nasty all week long. It's just, to me, I, I never sat right with me. I can never figure out that I don't want to be like that. I mean, to me, that never made... I never had a desire to be like you because as, as a carnal Catholic, it was more like, you know, you're up to something. You know, I was always leery about anybody's motive doing anything. I was like, what, what's the reason? why you had to do that and as far as taking the bread and, and being that my mother wanted me to be a, an altar boy but she knew that I was just not controllable and so two I think two of my other brothers actually became them so I'd go to the mass that you know they would do and I, I'd pull his robe or I'd you know <laughs> the plate would be on he'd put it on my neck and you know yeah. I'd, I'd mess around I think we'd go in the back and I'd grab a handful of wafers and just chew on them you know, to me it was more like, it was a game. It was, it was more like... You know, yeah, but um, what I want to know, uh, Bob, was did you, did you think that you were the majority or were you, were you the average Catholic uh, or was the devout, sincere person who really believed and really took this um, seriously? Like when you went into the church... How many of your kind were there, and many of the devout kind were there? There was definite distinction between who was serious and who wasn't serious. And I believe that the ones that were serious would sit up front, 
you know, would do the genuflecting, you know, would really participate and really pay attention to the homily. Um, and then there would be like a space in the middle, and then there'd be the ones in the back that would stand, come in late, leave early, don't take their jacket off, and just talk through the whole 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 45 minutes. And I think water seeks its own level. So in the church, you knew where to stand or you knew where to sit. And uh, and so because of that, I would compare myself with people that would go to a Catholic church. And I, I'd see them on the bars on Friday night and Saturday night. You know, So really, I thought I was just an average Catholic. I mean, as far as, uh, you know, seeing my Catholic friends do the same things that I would do on Friday and Saturday, I just thought it was just acceptable. I never really, I never really ran into a very religious, devout Roman Catholic that said to me, you know, what you're doing is wrong. You need to repent. You need to try to live a, a more devout life. I never actually ran into a devout Roman Catholic that would rebuke me for my lifestyle. Now your parents went to Mass every single Sunday and they would continue to go to confession and everything. Were, were they devout or did they continue in their Catholic life you know, all their life long? Or how was it with them? Well, my, my mom and my dad were, were devout. They, they, you know, I was christened. Christen, I was confirmed. And, uh, you know, I, I went on Sundays um, we'd go on confession and like I say my mother and father wanted to find uh, someone in the family that they could say look he's a priest and I think they finally got I come six boys the third boy fourth boy was finally oh we can get him to study to be a priest and because of that I think the pressure was off me because they, they said oh, he's never going to amount to anything as a Catholic so I never really I never felt the pressure of having to perform all these religious things. Yeah. You say you were christened. At what age were you christened? Were you was I was christened. I had a, a private christening. And uh, it was in Queens. And, uh, and I was, like I, said, I think I mentioned this before, I was, I was uh, named after uh, Robert Emmett, who was, who was a Protestant. And my grandmother would not come to christening because of who I was named after. I think she said it was a bloody black Protestant. I'm not exactly sure what that meant. Yeah, he was a fairly famous uh, right. um, Bible-believing Christian, right. and it was uh, it was amazing. How did you get to be named after a, a Christian man? M- my mother, she's uh, I, she dated a lot of men before she got married, and I think the story goes is that she uh, named all of us after her her uh, old boyfriends. So. Oh, wow, yes. Kind of <laughs> yeah. I'm not after the fact. So. Yeah. Okay, so you said that, that you got into different um, things that were quite um, horrendous and evil. Uh, was it like that in your teens? Did it get worse? Or how was the uh, like stealing? Was it just a little local shop? Or did you go any further in the type of life you were living? Yeah, it, it, it got worse. You know, it got to the point where... Uh, you know, we we go into stores at night and uh, steal from stores at night and you know take cigarettes and money and whatever we could get our hands on. You know, and it was uh, and I think you know at the time there was like you know gangs that we had and during that time there was um, probably about 50 of us that were all involved. I mean, my next door neighbor's house was was robbed from my friend. 
you know, <laughs> it, it, was hard, it was crazy stuff. I mean, it, it was more like, um, you know, marijuana was big, you know, and we started to start with the marijuana at 15 or 16, and I started to drink, and, you know, it was just a cool thing to do. I mean, it was, it started uh, harmlessly, but it, uh, it, it got uh, out of control. Are these gangs still in New York? Do you know the, the, the existence of these gangs or it, similar gangs? Yeah, it's a different kind of gangs now. I think they're more ethnic kind of gangs as opposed to... I'm from the suburbs. Long Island is kind of like the suburbs of uh, Manhattan. So, you know, we had the money and we'd go to these like Forest Park or uh, what was these other places we used to go to, to to buy the drugs and then just go back out to Long Island and, and take drugs. And, uh, you know, we have the houses. I, I used to have a party almost every night, in, uh, every night in my house. I had the basement, had a bar in my basement. So people that wanted to have a good time would come to my house. And at one time I had 700 kids in, in, my, in, my, uh, in my basement. And we were supposed to have a live band. And the next morning I had to uh, collect all the beer bottles around the block. And there was 12 trash cans of empty beer bottles. Wow. I, it, was, it was quite amazing, the, the lifestyle that I lived. And my parents never really, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I never got really yelled at. I was never restrained. And, uh, you know, it was just... Did it go beyond marijuana? Like the Yeah, well, they started yeah. into, uh, you know, started marijuana. Then it started, uh, you know, mescaline and roots and... Uh, acid, and you know, it started getting to the point. I was in, so I graduated in '79 from high school, and then I joined the Navy in in '80. But uh, in '81, my most of my friends were on heroin, and most of them uh, are dead today because of that. And, uh, so Did they die of AIDS or almost died of AIDS? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they didn't know that during the time that they were sharing needles. In one house alone, there were five people that died of AIDS. Wow, wow. In one house. It was That's very hard. Now, yeah. you talked about going into stores and, you know, stealing things. Did you ever go into private homes? Private homes, too. Yeah. And how was it to go into a private home? I mean, it's a, I, I can't even imagine how it would be to yeah. break into somebody's private home. Uh. Well, to me, I'd go into somebody's home, I wouldn't wreck the home. I would just kind of, like, look for nice things and, and take nice things, you know. But there would be some of my friends that would just destroy the home looking for things. And I, and I thought it was like malicious. There was no reason for it, you know. So I guess I had a little conscience even though I was kind of dead. I would compare myself with my friend. I'm not as dead as he is. You know, yes, so. yes. You were the respectable thief. Right. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, I was uh, definitely the... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, all of this time are you still going to... Um, Catholic Church. Catholic Church. Yeah. Did you do you ever go like at Christmas to Midnight Mass? Oh, and how was, was it when like I because I remember Midnight Masses and how solemn and you know devout you know we were going to Midnight Mass. So how was it when you went to oh. Midnight Mass? We uh, from a large family for Christmas we would um, we'd have a party. I mean it was uh, you know the Christmas tree the whole thing. We would uh, we drink. I mean we'd get drunk. I was. I think I started when I was 14 drinking, and uh, 14, 15, 16, it was illegal in New York at the time, you had to be 18, but it was kind of like a dispensation of grace where you can just get drunk and it was okay and then go to Mass, and it was, it was a place to meet friends and 
everyone else was kind of, you know, drunk. So it really, it seemed like it was just like everyone was doing it. And I was never under conviction. I never felt like I was doing wrong. I felt like this this was just acceptable. I mean, my parents drank. Uh, you know, they my my mother um, went to AA for a couple of years because she had a had a problem with drinking. My father drank. Most of my brothers and sisters drank. Um, you know, it just seemed like it was just a, a natural thing to do. Yeah, it was um, quite common, even with those of us who were devout Catholics in Ireland, that we had to get oiled up, you know, for uh, a party. And uh, we would call it getting oiled up. Maybe you use different terminology, but um, we thought that was necessary to enjoy yourself. You really had to, you had to drink a lot. So it was... A, in the uh, church? No, this wasn't in the church. Okay. Don't tell me you you <laughs> drank before you went to church. Sure, I mean I thought the priest did when the you know the wine the, you know take a little extra sip. Oh no, I I I I'm aghast. Did you actually drink before going to midnight mass? Oh yeah, it was fun. It was it was enjoyable, and I don't think anyone was paying attention. It was more like a a social gathering. It didn't seem like the priests were mad about it, and they I think they were just happy that you were there. To be honest with you. But did uh, you and your friends um, go to communion after you were? Yeah, we took you know we took the, the the communion and and I mean, as as an I guess you could call me a carnal Catholic, I I didn't really understand what transubstantiation was, and I thought it was just like you know just eating the wafer and, and it's okay. I mean it's kind of like genuflecting or, or you know doing the rosary. Yeah, yeah, just like yeah. You just do it and yeah. not even have. What I did have an understanding of a mortal sin and a venial sin. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to do a mortal sin. So, but I mean, a venial sin was just—it's okay. But how did you consider like breaking into people's homes and breaking into stores and you know getting sassled with drink? Was that all a venial sin to you, or how? Did yeah, you, really, you know, because I would compare myself with my friends. It's not that bad. I didn't do what he did. You know, and uh, so you thought it was of the lesser kind. Then, right? I thought I was the good guy. You know, yeah. I never, like I had friends that would be in bar fights and have a, a, a mug in their hand and pummel a guy to the point where he would lose the, the access of two fingers. Yeah, and I, one day I was shaking his hand and I was like, what, what happened to your hand? And he kind of went into the story. And I was, I was in bar fights. I was, uh, you know, you just, it was, uh, you know, so that's the kind of life I lived and went to the Catholic Church and thought it was okay. Yes, so this, uh, and you considered that you were fairly average. You I was an average Catholic. Yeah, I would yeah. defend Catholicism. I'm a Catholic. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. In what way would you defend Catholicism? Did anybody ever say anything to you, like, uh, you know, before you went into the, into the, was it the Navy you went right, into? The Marines? And the Navy. Did anybody ever say an ordinary, everyday, like an uh, American, New York uh, Catholic, did anybody ever challenge you? Were there any, anybody else besides Catholic? Were there Catholics and Jews in New York, was it? Ma mainly in the New York area, there, there are Catholics and there are Jews. There are very few Protestants. Uh, and the Protestants that are in the New York area are, I would say, maybe Lutheran, you know, um, very, very, not very strong in their beliefs or Episcopalians um, so it was not I didn't really have any influence at all on Protestantism or you know Christianity mm -hmm. and you know so when I joined the Navy you know what's your religion I said Catholic I mean that's about 
anybody ex asking me what I was religiously. Mm -hmm. so, so when they asked you, were you um, Christian, you said, no, I'm Catholic. No, I would say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Didn't understand what the term meant. What do I mean, Christian? Yeah, yes. I yes, thought yes. it was like a different denomination. I thought it was like a Protestantism. That's what I thought. Yeah. Well, what was it like in the Navy now as a young Catholic boy, young Catholic young man? Well, obviously, I joined the Navy because I wanted to kind of clean my act up. I knew that where I was headed was wrong, but I didn't know how to get out of this trap. So I looked. Uh, I said, if I could clean my body, soul, and spirit up, I think I'd be on the right track. So I joined the Navy uh, in one day. Uh, I had some problems with, uh, I don't know how detailed you want to get I looked at it this way. Um, Paul had a testimony uh, and he used it three times in the book of Acts. And he used it for the glory of God. Yeah, well, give us yeah. your testimony. Yeah. Tell us. I don't want to go too far into sin because then you kind of, you can almost glory in the sin. I know. You know and I mean? it's, it's, uh, it's almost like a glee, like, I wish I was back there. Yeah. They were lonely days. They were very... Yeah. yeah. There's an emptiness days. and a destitution that's exactly. in sin. And it's, a, it's, a, it's anything but the joyous life. It's, it's not. Yeah, yeah. There's no joy in seeing Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, but um, uh, my girlfriend got pregnant. Uh, I think she got pregnant from the guy that I was living with as a, as my my supervisor, and um, she got an abortion. And you know, I mean, these things were just playing heavy on my mind. I didn't really um, know how to handle it. I didn't know where to go to, who to turn to, and I just really needed to kind of get relief. And I thought the best thing to do was get out of my situation, leave New York. And that's what I did. I left New York and uh, went into the Navy. And in boot camp, I was very um, seriously looking to be clean. So I'd, on Sunday, I'd have off and I'd go to church. There was like seven different uh, types of denominations represented on Sunday. And then on Sunday, I would, I'd go to all of them. Uh, and I'd really search, you know, Whatever religion was out there, I was looking for because I knew as a Catholic I didn't have any peace. And, um, you know, I got out of boot camp and the pressure was off. And mm -hmm. then I said, oh, it's not that bad. And so then I started to adapt my old ways again. And, uh, you know, three months after boot camp is when I. Yeah, well, there on that <laughs> note that you said, uh, Bob, that you didn't have any inner peace. Uh, that's where um, your life as a, an ordinary average what you call carnal Catholic was the same as those of us who were devout uh, none of us had any inner peace and uh, I have found you know, interviewing former priests and nuns nuns in particular former nuns that there was uh, always this underlying emptiness and I know in my own life, after many years of devout Catholic living, I had this emptiness, and I didn't have peace with God. And uh, it was that that drove me, eventually, after a serious accident in 1972, in my own life, to begin reading the scriptures. Now, how was it with you that somebody... Uh, did somebody witness to you in the Navy? Did somebody draw attention to your situation? And how was it like the grace of God penetrated this heart that seemed to be rather callous, if I could say so? 
It's funny that you should say callous. I, I really did not think I had a callous heart. I think my heart was very receptive, but I just never heard the truth in the Catholic Church. Uh, I think if they had the truth, I think I would have listened. But I saw the fruit of Catholicism. I saw people like yourself, and it, it just didn't make sense to me. I'm like, there's, there's something not normal about wanting to go into the priesthood. I mean, why would you want not to be married? You know, wh why do you feel that you have to do those religious things? I mean, doesn't God want you to enjoy those things? So, I was more like the liberal side, I'd say. I would never be able to attain to that type of living. So, I kind of like lost hope as far as, you know, as an average Catholic, I'm never going to make it. And I think my parents did too. And my brothers and sisters say, you're the black sheep of the family. You're never going to amount to anything. And uh, because of that, they wrote me off, which was, in a way, nice, because then the pressure wasn't on me to be a priest. I'm like, good, I don't have to be a priest. I don't want to get married. You know, I enjoy my life. And I believe that Jesus came to give you life and give it more abundantly. I don't think it's a, a bondage to, to serve Christ. I think it's, it's, a, it's a blessing. Yes, he hasn't given us the spirit of bondage right. again, but um, he's given us the spirit of... of um, knowing God personally the right. Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God but you are as yet uh, not plucked out of the you know of Fire. sin you're as yet in Catholicism you're as yet uh, living a fairly sinful life and you're in the Navy and you're going to all of these services and still nothing is matching up when did the Lord open your eyes and how? Well, I was, um, it was a Friday, Friday the 13th, and March, 1981, I'm sorry, 1980, and um, I was, uh, just got off my service, I was in school in Jacksonville, Florida, and I was on Interstate 10, and I was hitchhiking to the Gator Nationals, which is about an hour and a half in Gainesville, um, I was very excited, my ride had left me, and I was just determined to get there, because I just I, I, that's how I lived my life I just wanted to enjoy my life and that's where the fun was I was headed that way and I was on that road it, for probably about three hours walking did not realize that the week before somebody had been uh, mutilated and cut up and thrown on the side of the road and picked up and I, I was unaware of that as I'm hitchhiking down the road nobody would pick me up so I got to like a rest area right after 295 and Interstate 10 uh, is the first um, rest area going east. So I walked over the highway, went back. Just as I sat down in the rest area, a car pulled up to the actual place where I was sitting. And a guy gets out and he says, uh, you need a ride? And I didn't even ask for a ride. I was, I was like, yeah. He says, what do you need a ride to the base? I'm like, you know, I was like, yeah, I was even getting scared of He said, I just got to go to the bathroom. So he went to the bathroom. He probably handed out some tracks. He gets back in the car and I get in the car. And I'm excited. I'm like, wow, you know, this is really great, you know. And um, I'm in the car about two minutes. So he turns to me and he looks at me and says, uh, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? And I'm thinking, this guy is, is queer. There's something, uh, you know, I'm ready to reach for the door. I think I can hit the ground at 50 miles an hour and still survive. You know, this is going through my life. So he says, uh, I said, no, go ahead. You know, I'm sizing him up. Does he have a knife, a gun? Is he going to kill me? He says, if you were to die right now, where would you go? 
and when he had said that it was I was totally totally convicted for the first time in my entire life I have never heard um, the gospel I never heard being born again never heard being saved no one ever confronted me and said look what you're doing you need to you know amend your ways you should repent you should change your mind at that time I was I was like um, in a lecture chair I couldn't move and I was afraid for the first time in my life and you know I thank God for convicting me I really you know I was like glad that I think he looked down and said you know here I want to tell you something and when he told me something I felt it it was an amazing thing and uh, I said well I'm Catholic <laughs> and as quick as I said I'm Catholic he responded back to me and said I didn't ask you if you were religious I just asked you if you knew where you were going when you died and I got deeper into conviction I was like this guy is tough you know I thought I knew all the answers and I said uh, well I guess I'd go to hell because I'd been out of boot camp for about three months now and, and I hadn't gone to mass and I know if you don't go to mass it's a mortal sin so and I hadn't been confession, so, and I'm getting deeper into conviction because of my Catholic upbringing. I mean, I had a knowledge of the crucifix. I had a knowledge of God, but there was no power there. I never really saw power in it, you know. I mean, so when he said that to me, I was even, uh, more fear came on me. Mm-hmm. And by the time we drove back to, it was NAS Jack's, uh, um, in Jacksonville, Florida, got to the parking lot so he says he had to give me this this chip track um, this was your life I wasn't a very good reader but I could look at the pictures so uh, and I knew what it was you know an angel judgment I mean you know and he's quoting scripture and I said okay uh, so what do you want me to do he said well let's just get out in the parking lot and kneel down and pray and ask Jesus to say. I was like do we have to do this <laughs> can we just because I, I don't want to look vulnerable I don't want to look like I'm weak you know so I said I grabbed his arm as he's going out into the parking lot I said can we do it right here you think God would mind <laughs> go ahead so so I bowed my head and I, I, I asked the Lord to save me and uh, mm-hmm. we had gotten out of the car and for the first time it was like you know the burden had just been released and mm-hmm. I kind of looked up into the sky and I was like I guess I'm one of yours and, I, and when I said it, it was, there was so much peace that I, I, I could never, I never yeah. figure that out. Yeah. To this day, I can't. Well, the salvation that Christ Jesus gives is really um, light after darkness. Uh, you know, Christ Jesus himself said, the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and live. Those that hear the voice of the Son of God and live. So... In a very real sense, um, that is your testimony. You were dead in trespasses and sins, like it says in Ephesians, and you heard the voice of the Son of God as this man quoted scriptures to you. And uh, by the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, you believed and you were saved to His glory and grace. And that is um, that is really wonderful hearing you know what your life had been before that now I know even in talking to devout nuns who got saved and you know I have um, interviewed many different people and uh, seen many different forms of Catholicism that it 
takes a while to get things straightened out, you know, before you see things absolutely clearly and you don't know the scriptures, so you're really inadequate while you're in Christ Jesus, like it says in Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verse 6, you're accepted in the beloved to the praise of the glory of his grace, because it's all of his grace. You still don't have all your theology anyway <laughs> right, because you don't know the scripture you haven't read the scripture so I presume it's going to be a rather rocky road for a while and how how was it then were you trying to uh, live a Christian life and still finding the the old man clinging to you I don't know how to put it Bob but you know what I'm asking you know uh, you've lived a life of sin right. you are in habitual sin and uh it's hard to throw it off because you know you are saved but um, you have to be convicted now uh, that you know a believer does not live the life of sin so just how was it in the time afterwards now that you, you what was your struggle like well the main thing was is that <coughs> I wasn't a very good reader and as I said before I was probably one of the dumbest in, in my high school and uh, but I was street smart I knew I knew how to get around things. Um, so I knew that uh, if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. But I just didn't know how to get that truth in me. So <clears throat> somebody suggested that I get the Bible on cassette. So for the first ten times reading through the Bible from cover to cover, I'd read it through twice a year, I would just listen because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So I would... I had a reel-to-reel because in the Navy I bought $10,000 worth of stereo equipment. I was... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, uh, and I bought this reel-to-reel and I was able to set it up where I could hear preaching and teaching and uh, the Word of God all night. So, sometimes, I don't know if it's subconscious or osmosis, but even if uh, the slightest, like just as I'm going to bed, I'd still hear the Word of God. Right, you're, you're playing over and over right. again. And so and it would uh, come in, it would come in. Yeah, yeah. It would help me to get my mind to, to mm-hmm. um, pronounce the words, you know, to be yeah, able to yes, follow yes. the sentences. So, I mean, if anyone out there is listening and they're not a very good reader, my suggestion is to get the Bible on cassette, put it in. It's about 45 minutes on each side. And just sit down for 45 minutes and follow along. You train your eyes to read it. And that's what I did, I, and I, I was I was quite amazed. Yeah, what what I would re- I would really think that what you're saying is really important for our listener or our viewer that um, when the Lord does catch up with you, that you really have to to know that He sanctifies us through His Word, like Christ Jesus said, "Thy Word is truth." Sanctify them through that, Thy Word. Thy Word is truth. So we are sanctified and cleansed by the the written word of God that Christ Jesus said cannot be broken and it's the word that cleanses and purifies us and um, now that you say this I remember uh, meeting some ordinary Catholics uh, when I was um, you know saved out of Catholicism and um, had been uh, in Atlanta for two years then went to China uh, came back went to a type of Bible college and then uh, set up the ministry that I have now in Portland, Oregon. I went door to door with the Latinos, a lot of Latinos, and a lot of these were average Catholics from um, 
Central America from San Salvador, Guatemala and some from Mexico and a lot of these guys had uh, had um, been in drink and drugs and everything and um, I used to give them the Bible on cassette tape as well and I found that um, as these men uh, who had trusted on the Lord Jesus Christ uh, got purified through the word you would actually see uh, the change in their life and I was I was amazed. Uh, Paulinus was one of the first persons I ever witnessed to. My Spanish was poor and he sat behind a big uh, double glass full of, of beer, you know, and uh, he drank more beer. He was getting more blurred and my Spanish was not <laughs> too good at all. But Paulinus heard the word of God and then he um, got cleansed of the beer and the other drink and things he was into and uh, became a man walking with the Lord and later on Glory his wife uh, got saved too and uh, it was a, a joy to me to see this and uh, I'm really happy that you share this because I think this is a, a very 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 good advice that we are sanctified by the word faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God now did you finally get um, like totally uh, totally uh, sort of cleanse of that sinful lifestyle and um, how was it then when you finally you know was able to throw off you know all your past was I don't want to go too fast but you know, just tell me how it was Bob well um, you know it was difficult as uh, you know I'm not sure what your theology is on this but when Jesus became my Savior, He didn't become my Lord. Meaning, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I tell you? I'm a Christian now, but I'm going out and drinking on Friday nights. I'm still on the drugs, and I'm still doing things that are just ungodly. So, but I know that I'm saved. Now, some people will say, well, you're not saved. Well, maybe I wasn't saved. I don't know. But I, I, I really feel that I was. I feel that the strongholds that I had given to the devil was still in my flesh. I believe God didn't save my flesh. He saved my soul. And so, as I tried to yield to the Spirit, the flesh was so strong that I wasn't able to right away walk in newness of life. I knew that my sins were forgiven. I knew that God was my Savior. But I just did not want to relinquish the reins and say, all right, God, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke. I'm going to start reading my Bible because uh, there was too much of the world in me and um, just a side note since I've been saved I've witnessed the people on heroin I've witnessed the people on their deathbed totally deranged on morphine and um, you know the word of God is so powerful quick and powerful that you know you don't know how it's going to prosper because it's God that does the work we plant and one waters but God gives the increase so the mat, no matter what you might look at on the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. So, even though I had believers that would not fellowship with me because um, of their sanctification, you are walking in sin, and I knew I was. And, and Corinthians says, you know, you know, don't have any fellowship with him because he's, you know, he's he's living in a life of sin, which I kind of agreed with, but I needed help. So there, I was in Bermuda one time I had a motorcycle accident and I was drinking and uh, I crashed and two of my Christian friends that I had been going to Bible 
study with came into the hospital and said, you know, uh, God got you. <laughs> and I'm like, you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm laying in the hospital bed. I can't get up and smack the guy. But I, I knew, I said, yeah, you're right, God really caught up to me, didn't he? And uh, it was a kind of a transformation of realizing that God slowly reveals himself to, to me in ways that, like I'd be reading Psalms 23 and, uh, you know, I'm sorry, Psalms 22 when it talks about the crucifixion. And I'm going, God, how can you, how come David wrote that 2,000 years before you, or, you know, 1,000 years before you showed up? And it was like, a, it's like flesh and blood doesn't reveal this unto you, but like the Holy Spirit kind of reveals that. And it was like, wow, I believe that. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, it was starting to make more things were coming together like, I believe that. It doesn't make any sense, but it's written there. And that was written before he was born. And it talks about his crucifixion. And then, you know, so I, I believe the knowledge of the truth helped me to, to walk in that newness of life. So if I don't have the knowledge of the Christian life, how would I know what pleases him and what doesn't please him? All I have is my conscience. So I can easily deceive myself because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. I can say, well, I smoke pot and read my Bible. It's okay, you see. And not say, well, I don't drink and smoke and, and take, you know, quaaludes and, and then go to church. So it's, it's, a funny, it's a funny thing how the heart would compare yourself with somebody else. And where I came from, I thought I was doing pretty good. So it was a, it was a slow sanctification process. The, the, the conscience had to be formed by the Word of God. Right, and that's that. because we have finally, our final judge is the conscience, but the conscience has got to be informed. And that's where we have to be instructed in the Word of God. And you were getting instruction, having never had instruction in the Word of God. And you were going from audio cassettes that you finally learned to read. Right. Uh, yeah. I've, I've read through the Bible over 30 times and the first 10 times I read it through by cassette tape so I was able to pronounce the words to know like the comma means to slow down and kind of you know what I mean that's how I was able yeah, to yeah so to part of your education because you said that early on was it you became 500 and something out of 600 597 out of 600 uh, yes, I yes. mean it was bad yeah so that's pretty 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 bad yes, yes sir. and now you've learned to read it is like you've learned to read yes. on the Bible that the Bible, yes, the Bible was the book that I really was one of the first books I read yeah, yes and, yes uh, yes and I, I read it because somebody had given me it on cassette tape yes yes and yes. gave me a Bible and yeah, I was yeah. so excited that yeah, yeah. you know I can really do this and yeah, I think yeah. uh, I didn't have the, the, the you know as, as a Catholic I wasn't in parochial school, but they have an excellent training. The first five years of parochial school, they teach you to read and write. I mean, uh, it's, it's the greatest thing. But I was, in, I was in a public school, and mm -hmm. I didn't really get the training that I needed. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But when I finally was able to learn yeah, how yeah. to read, and I think that was... Yeah, the, well, let's not get into debating when you really were saved, um, you know, Lots of people might think of us when you finally, you know, committed myself to really. Well, finally got convicted and right. trusted Christ alone and right. had uh, forsaken all sin. So we won't get into the precise moment. But what I want to find out now, Bob, is that did you ever go back to those that you had 
you know, stolen and the drugs with uh, to your former friends. Did you ever go back now with the good news that yes. you had? Yes, very, very much so. Well, well I, please tell, 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 tell these stories. say how it was. And I, yes. I know that our viewer wants to hear this. You've got to hear some of these stories. I would, um, I'd hear this from people that were in the bars and they, I would, I didn't even really know how to write very well, so I'd write a postcard. And, uh, you know, you're going to hell and if you don't get saved, you're going to burn a lake of fire, you know. I had a lot of zeal and very little knowledge, but I wouldn't, I didn't write the complete sentences and they weren't formed correctly. And I never really proofread them. I just wrote it and that was it. I was so excited and I mailed it. And I didn't find this out until uh, many years later that they were making fun uh, of the way I wrote it. I couldn't really write a complete sentence. Oh, he's, you know, he's saying we're all going to go to hell. But even though it was misspelled or it wasn't in the proper grammar, it, God even used it more. Because then everybody gathered, oh yeah, he doesn't know how to read or write, he's a complete idiot. And the whole bar would read these letters, these, these postcards that I would send to my friends to the point where they would call my house and tell my brothers and sisters to tell me to stop sending these cards to their <laughs> friends. And I would go home. I was, uh, you know, I would, like I say, I was, I'd still go to the bars, you know. And uh, I didn't have a very strong testimony, but I, I witnessed my friends. And they just couldn't figure it out. They were like, what is going on with this guy? And like I say, eventually, the Lord was convicting me and saying, come out from among them. You can't witness to these people and, and that live, live partially their lifestyle. Right. Now, what about those who were had AIDS and you know had been on heroin and all and you know were dying? Did you get talking to any of those? Yes, quite a bit of those. Um, you know, just some of my good friends, Steve and, and Dave, and and uh, right on their deathbed, I was there. Um, I was able to witness to one of my friends. And the whole family hates me today, you know. They don't want anything to do with me. Uh, it's, a, it's a very amazing story, but I led... He was uh, probably the last six months of his life, and I was very active in his life. I'd go to the hospital and when he was there. I'd see him. I'd come to his house. We'd read the Bible. Uh, on his deathbed, he had a, a New Testament clinging to it, and he started reading because he got excited that I was able to read from cover to cover. So he got up to like Acts 17. And you know, it says the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians, you know, because they would search the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Well, he was really searching for truth. And he'd ask me these very difficult theologian questions. And I'd be like, wow, Stephen, you're really searching. And he's on his deathbed. And the testimony in the room when he died was absolutely unbelievable. We went to the Mass. And I said, I, and all my friends were there. There were maybe like 500 people there. I, maybe I'm exaggerating, 100. But there was quite a few people there. And uh, I got up because the priest said, anybody have anything to say? I got up. And I said, you know, you need to be born again. And, and I think I said something like a curse word. Like, you know, I forget. It was like, you know, wasn't the perfect word to say in the Catholic Church. And uh, one of the neighbors came up to me and said, how dare you use that curse word in my church? And I said, excuse me? I said, you watch TV and you hear things worse than that. And the piety just changed from, you know, she became very aggressive toward me. But uh, I, it, was, it was amazing how, bold, how much boldness I had to, to really talk to these people. But it was in a loving way. It wasn't like, because 
you know, they looked at me like, I can't believe what you have. And I, I think God chooses the foolish things of the, of the mm-hmm. world because He found the wise. And, and uh, not many wise like yourself, not many noble are called. But thank God for people like you that have the knowledge and have the piety and, and you know, have that knowledge where I knew that I was, I was never like that. But, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that God... Yeah. I, I was amazed in my own life. I had uh, mentioned earlier on how um, I had um, moved to the West Coast, you know, and I had, uh, I had gone to Bible college for a while. Uh, a small, very small little one year um, it was called an internship where you were being instructed in the Bible but at the same time we were doing uh, outreach and um, I really wanted to go and talk to some people with AIDS and some of the homosexuals in San Francisco Bay Area and uh, I got into a home there where they were all homosexuals and uh, it was uh, rather scary because I knew nothing about this but as I would talk about um, Christ Jesus and eternal life and uh, try to say nicely you're on the road to hell and you're going to suffer eternal damnation I found that a lot of these men really were afraid of death and uh, their friends had died and uh, they knew that their days were numbered and uh, it, I think it is really important to say the uh, to word to some of these. There was uh, the head honcho in the house, so the head man used to get really annoyed and say to get out of here, and he would sort of curse us and uh, put us out. And uh, then when we go back uh, to our papa, my wife and myself, we would find there was a, a message on the answer machine where he was apologizing, and he wanted to know more about... Uh, who Christ was and just what he did and we would go back again so it was a it, it's, it's a difficult thing but um, a lot of people who have lived a wicked lifestyle it's not only that they feel empty but there is this um, great knowledge that they are dying uh, when they have AIDS and that they need to hear the word so what would you say to somebody uh, who is um, really conscious that they have lived a wicked lifestyle and that they have uh, you know sins and uh, death is going to come anyhow what would you say to them Bob you know you have a chance now you're mm. we're speaking in a home to an individual who may be hurting and wants to know what would you say well I, I think sometimes you need to realize where you speak from and when Jesus says uh, the words that I speak unto you are spirit and life. Uh, if you're in line with the Holy Spirit and your heart is really in tune with God's Spirit, uh, He'll bless that. So it's not just the words, because you can know the Bible and it can fall on deaf ears. So if you really want to reach somebody's heart, you need to speak from the heart. I'll give you an example. I was in Harlem with a friend of mine who's now in heaven. He died of AIDS, Dave Foley. And I went with John Monk and we actually... He went to cop um, crack cocaine, and uh, he needed a fix. So I knew what he was doing. We went there anyway. So my friend and I, John Monk, started to street preach. And you talk about the demons coming out of these crack houses and just the women screaming like, like all bloody hell. We had two guys with guns come up to us and said, "What the blank, blank, you doing here?" 
I said, well, we came here for you to so you get saved. Two of these guys with guns. You know, these, you know, tough Puerto Rican guys. <laughs> and me with my Bible. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm here for you and you need to get saved. You need to ask Jesus to save you. And in five minutes, we had them both on their knees asking for Jesus to save them. And it was, to me, a most powerful thing because I think they need to see that there's something real. And if you're, if you're really believing this to be true, they're going to try you and test you to see if your religion is true to the point of death. Are you, are you, you believe this to be true? If you believe it to be true, are you willing to die for it? And I think when people see that, especially drug addicts, uh, people that are living homosexual in, in that homosexual lifestyle, I believe that if you're, in that, if you're a homosexual, I believe that's almost the, the sin where God takes your conscience and He almost cuts it off. Where you, it's almost impossible for you to hear truth. I believe it's that close. That's, the, that's how deep that is. Almost impossible, Almost. but nothing is impossible. With all things, God, God yeah. is possible. But I'm just saying, if there's a progression of sin, you know, and there is a place of deeper hell, I believe that you get to a certain point in sinning that you no longer hear that still small voice. But there are people that are involved in those types of sins that are looking for something that's real. And it's not you that's really being real. It's you being in line or in tune with God's Spirit. And if you speak from the heart, and like I said, I spoke from the heart because I, I really didn't have... I had street knowledge, but I didn't have a lot of other type of scriptural knowledge, but I had a lot of zeal. And I believe because of that, God blessed it. And I think that if you really want to be effective as a Christian to witness to your friends and uh, to be a blessing to them... You have to experience it yourself. You have to know the comfort. You have to know the comforter. And that takes work. That takes discipline. To know Him the way you need to know Him. With a pure heart. And once you have that, uh, you know, we can do all things. And then by doing that, you can be a real blessing to your friends. And God can use you. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I uh, understand what you're saying. And uh, I remember my own life, uh, a particular man that I had witnessed to and he was very, very staunchly Catholic and he wasn't a, a very good Catholic but he was said born Catholic, die Catholic and he was, he was adamantly convinced that he was never going to believe and uh, I really prayed like Lord give me the scripture that would pierce his heart that would just smite him as it were and uh, I was struggling to get a scripture that would really um, you know, penetrate this, this seemingly impossible situation and eventually I said to him and I was just looking him straight in the eye I said if you remain in your traditions you will die in your sin and that was the word of Christ Jesus to the Pharisees that they you know that if you do not believe that I am he you will die in your sins it was the uh, a sort of a shortened version of what uh, Christ Jesus had said and it was like I had put a sword in this man's heart he was offended he turned away he phoned his son later on to tell him that what I said was keeping him awake at night later on on his deathbed he called me to come to him and uh, he really trusted on Christ Jesus and him alone 
And I think that was sort of similar to what you were saying, that you know, we really pray for the word that um, is needed, is needed. And if there's a viewer here, somebody listening who is saying, I will never, ever hear, you know, what these men are saying, um, it's the same for you. If you remain in your tradition and in your rituals and in your thinking that your rituals can save you or any church can save you because there's no church can save you you will die in your sins that is a strong hard message but that's where it's at and that's what we're trying to say in love um, this has been a real revelation to me uh, Bob and I really thank you for what you have said uh, you have really shown me what an average Catholic would be like and downtown New York, probably the same in downtown Boston, downtown Chicago and many other cities Atlanta where I lived uh, for a while it is um, it is really a site of Catholicism that has got to be addressed and uh, what you were saying the gospel is the power of God unto salvation so we thank you for listening um, this has been a real eye-opener to me this program and I pray for you it has been the grace of God and that you would trust on the Lord Jesus and let us hear from you because it's an encouragement and particularly if you are an average Catholic and you're trusting on the Lord alone write to us because we want to rejoice with you as we are accepted in the beloved to the praise of the glory of his grace praise God thank you Thanks for listening. If the Lord touches you, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our website at www.bereanbeacon.org. Goodbye and God bless you. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, 
whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.